The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. Peter has, for the most part, closed out his instructions and encouragement for these churches in their suffering. And now Peter begins to close out his letter here in this final chapter with some final instructions. And he begins so with instructions to elders. And here's what we're going to see this morning. Three things. We will see the elders' duties, the elders' desires, and the elders' delight. The elders' duty, the elders' desires, and the elders' delight. But before we get to those, um, there are first some introductionary thoughts that we need to consider as we work through these verses together. Chapter 5 begins with this word in the ESV anyway of so. It may in your translation, if you have a different one, be the word therefore. This is a therefore. And what words, transitional words like so or therefore do is they serve us to know that what is coming after this is tied directly to what has come before it. And so when I say Peter has for the most part finished his instructions and his encouragement with suffering, that is true, but Peter does take a step here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to make sure that we understand that his instructions to elders are tied directly to what has just come before, which is uh, the believers suffering for the sake of righteousness. And this is because that suffering had begun to enter the church, and that suffering was on both the congregation and the elders. And Peter takes special care to address the leaders of these churches to make sure that these leaders, these elders, in the face of suffering, are standing firm, are remaining godly, and are being an example in their suffering to the church as a whole. Because... The church needs godly leaders. The church needs godly leaders. The church needs godly leaders at all times. The church especially needs godly leaders in times of persecution. Now, I use that word leaders in plural form for a reason. And the reason is because that is how Peter uses it here. You see it in verse 1. So, or therefore, I exhort or I encourage the elders among you. The elders among you. There is in the church of God the need and the God-given calling for a plurality of leaders or a plurality of Elders. You see this throughout the New Testament 
as churches are planted and elders in the plural are chosen to serve the church through the ministry of the word. A multiple number of, of godly leaders. No, no set number, but certainly more than one person. And this is important for us because God has built this into the way that he wants his church to be structured and to function for the security and the preservation of his church. Because for the leadership of a church to be on one man is incredibly dangerous. And that is not how God has ever intended the church to be structured. And there are many churches that are pastor-driven or pastor-led um, when the, that is a, a dangerous place to be in the church. I, I can tell you from 36 years of experience, that is dangerous for you if it was only up to me. Dangerous. Um, and so we, we are led here by a, a plurality of elders, multiple men um, that lead God's church for the church's good and development, for the church's good and development. Um, it's not on just one pastor. So much so that I know it's hard, it's difficult in, in our culture, and because I'm your primary communicator I'm the one that you hear from most often. And there's even a, a different dynamic in this church in that, that I was the, the church planter. Um, but I don't, I don't I, and I am your pastor, and I want you to consider me your pastor, but I'm not the pastor. We have three pastors that serve you, that meet, meet your needs. I, I, my, my formal title is the elder of, of preaching or the preaching elder. Because I have no more authority individually than Jacob does or than Terry does um, for your good. Because consistently through God's word, you see this idea of elders or leaders in the church being in the plural. So what is an elder? This is who Paul or Peter is talking to. So I exhort the elders among you. What is the elder? Sometimes in God's word, this word can be used for older people. Um, that's seen in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. But here in this text, and primarily as it is used in the New Testament, these are those who are appointed for spiritual leadership within the church of God. Elders are men who are set aside by God and a local congregation and are charged with the care and the oversight of the local congregation. You see them first mentioned in Acts chapter 11 verse 30 where Luke identifies as he, as he records the book of Acts for us. He identifies the elders or the leaders at the church in Jerusalem. You also see then throughout Acts the mention of leaders of local congregations being identified as elders. Paul, writing in Titus chapter 1 verse 5, says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might 
uh, put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, you see the plurality here of multiple elders, and then we see this in every town, which is a little confusing. So does that mean that you know, we should only have like Calera elders and then Alabaster elders? But understand their churches were geographically um, limited to, to towns or cities. And so it was the church in the certain town. It wasn't then like it is now where there's a church on every corner. There was one church um, there in, in the city as, as churches were planted. And so Paul leaves uh, Titus behind so that he can put what remained, what he had worked towards in order. And as a part of that, appointing elders, leaders of the congregations in each of these churches. Throughout the New Testament, you see terms used interchangeably. The terms elder, bishop, overseer, or pastor. Those are all terms referring to the same office used interchangeably throughout the New Testament to describe the same duties within the local church. And now, um, this is who Peter has begun to Address. Now, as I got here and I began to study and I began to think through this, I, I started to, to wonder why it is that Peter is including these instructions into his letter, specifically into this letter. Because Peter wrote this letter to these churches in modern day Turkey to be read out loud to these churches. And yet in that, he includes these instructions to elders. And so I'm wondering, why didn't Peter write a separate letter just to the elders? Like if you had something to say to the elders, just say it to the elders. Why does the, the entire congregation need to hear what you have to say to the elders? And, and the same is, is true for you this morning. You might be thinking, Jason, what does this have to do with me? I'm not an elder. You're preaching to yourself here. Which I am. I'm preaching myself every week, not just this week. But what does this have to do with, with me? I'm not an, an elder. Well, the reality is that Peter includes this for all of the members of these churches and for us for a few reasons. And one is so that the, the people of the churches and, and you can have realistic expectations of your leaders, of your elders. Right? It is so that we as your elders and you as the congregation, we can all be on the same page and all understand what it is we're called to. Because if you have expectations that go beyond God's word, and we don't, then there's tension and frustration. And if we have expectations that go beyond God's word, and you don't, then there's tension and frustration. And so Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words so that we can all be on the same page in regard to the expectations of your leaders. And so we can be on the same page to know this is what you are to expect from us. Secondly, so that this can be and you can serve as a form of accountability. Because you know what to expect from us as your leaders and as your elders. And if we are not living up to the standards set by God's word, then we are accountable to you, church. To you. The keys of the kingdom of God to bind and loose are given to the local church, to members of the local church, not to a certain set of men. 
and you in understanding rightly what it is God expects from your elders serve as an accountability for your elders. And then thirdly, so that people can identify those who are real and truly qualified elders so that you're not fooled by false teachers and false leaders. So, Peter writes to the church, and in doing so, and in giving these exhortation, he includes his personal testimony as a means to speak to his authority on the issue. And he writes in verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter says, I am a fellow elder and I'm writing to you, fellow elders, meaning he has authority on, on the subject. It's what he's writing. Now, you may read that and think, well, wait a minute. I thought Peter was an apostle. So why does Peter identify himself as an elder? Because he was both an apostle and an elder. Here's the way you look at it and understand it. Every single apostle was an elder, but not every elder was an apostle. There is a distinction that Peter makes here. And the distinction is, is, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, which is a requirement for apostleship, to have witnessed, to have seen Jesus Christ himself. Peter did. Guess what? I didn't. I'm not an apostle. I'm not an apostle. Peter was both. Peter was both. And he has the authority, both as an elder and an apostle, to give these instructions. Now, that was kind of a John MacArthur introduction, like 15 minutes. So now we'll get to the, the points that we see in these exhortations of what are the duties, what are the desires, and what are the delight of elders. First, the duties... And it comes in one clear and succinct statement. In verse 2, Peter writes, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. What is an elder to do? What is his central purpose? What is his main duty? It is clearly to shepherd the flock of God. God. All through the scriptures, you see imagery of shepherds and sheep used, both in the Old Testament and in the New. You see God being the shepherd to his people and his people being the sheep. All through the scriptures. You see Jesus identified as our good shepherd or our chief shepherd. And you see elders called to be under shepherds of the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And so Peter writes here, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God. Well, what does it mean to shepherd the flock of God? What does Peter mean by that? And what is the elder's main duty if it is to shepherd the flock of God? Well, primarily, a shepherd's main responsibility is to ensure that the sheep are led to areas of nourishment. That's the, that's, that's the shepherd's primary role. It's to lead the sheep to make sure that the sheep are taken to 
areas where they can receive the nourishment that is needed. The primary role of, of an elder in shepherding the flock, the primary role of a shepherd is to feed the sheep. To feed the sheep. This is the description of what the good shepherd does for his sheep. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Meaning all of the needs are met. And what, what, does, it, what does a sheep need? To eat. And we see that. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still Waters. This is the good shepherd leading his sheep to places of nourishment, green pastures, and still waters. As Peter penned these words, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God. Certainly, Peter would have had in his mind the words of Jesus echoing where Jesus meets him in John chapter 21. He says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This is the resurrected Jesus interacting with his disciples. Real life here, bodily form, resurrected Jesus. Having this dialogue with Peter and saying, Simon, Peter... Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, What? Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. And he said to him the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said it to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And that's exactly what Peter began to do. He began to feed the flock of God, the congregation of God, with the word of God. How is an elder to shepherd the flock in ensuring its nourishment? The elder is to do it through the word of God. That's the the elder's primary shepherding responsibility is to lead you to rich green pastures to feast on the word of God. Mark 6, 34. You see this modeled in Jesus. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They're in need of a shepherd. So what does Jesus do? He begins to be their shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Sheep without a shepherd lack nourishment. That nourishment comes in the form of the word of God, the teaching of the word of God. That's what Jesus did. You see it in 1 Timothy 5, 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. 2 Timothy 4, starting in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge 
who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The elder's primary responsibility is the preaching and teaching of God's word. Church, that is what you need in your life. Nourishment comes from the word of God. It does not come from self-help messages. It does not come from platitudes. It comes from the word of God. That's why in this church we labor word for word, verse by verse, book after book. The word of God is what we need. That's our nourishment. And the elder's primary responsibility is to shepherd the flock of God and in that to ensure nourishment found in the Word of God. Found in the Word of God. Not only is a shepherd to lead the flock to nourishment, but the shepherd is also to protect them from harm. To protect them from harm. John 10 The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy and I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Jesus showing the difference between a real shepherd and a false shepherd. A real shepherd stays when things are difficult. A real shepherd protects the sheep from wolves. False shepherds flee. Now, how can we, as your elders, protect you from wolves? And wolves are false teachers. It's to protect you from bad doctrine and theology. How do we do that? We do that primarily through, by teaching you good doctrine and theology, right? Because if you are equipped to understand how to read and study and apply the Word of God, then you will have the discernment needed to discern, is this really the Word of God or is it not? And is this really the shepherd of God or is it not? There's protection. There's protection. And then... The shepherd also guides and directs the sheep. You see that in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This is the role of the elders, to ensure nourishment, to protect, to lead, and to guide. And to do it through a ministry of the Word of God. A Word of God. The elder is, first and foremost, to shepherd the flock. But I want you to notice exactly whose flock it is. Shepherd the flock what? Of God. Of God. What a good reminder for me. This isn't my church. This is God's church. You are God's people. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. He is the chief shepherd. He is the head shepherd. We are just under shepherds, under his authority. Under his authority. This is his flock. And then Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. As you shepherd the flock of God, Peter says, you do so 
making sure and in a way that you are exercising oversight. This is to watch over the sheep, to be involved in their lives, to know them. Literally, this is to look upon them. To exercise oversight is to look upon them, to know them personally. To be involved and invested in their life. To know what's going on. To know what difficulties there are. What struggles there are. What encouragement there is needed. So that you will know then how to lead them and guide them to find the nourishment they need in God's word. Never in the word of God is an elder or a pastor or a bishop or an overseer called to be simply the guy who stands on the stage and preaches the message and leaves and never gets involved in the sheep. Never. Now this church began in its earliest form as a multi-site of Westwood and Alabaster. I was on staff there. We started a multi-site here. And I thought... Multi-site is okay. After all, there are men that I respect that do multi, a multi-site model. It didn't take me too long, probably longer than it should because I'm not the brightest bulb in the box, to realize there's a big problem with a multi-site model of ministry. And this is it. This is it. Because how can a pastor who's on a screen exercise oversight? And so I began to ask those questions. And they said, well, Jason, you're the campus pastor. You're the one that, that exercises the oversight. But then you take from that man the primary means of exercising that oversight, which is the teaching and the preaching of God's word. And I just began to say this maybe isn't as biblical model of, of church. Now, I, I don't say that to belittle multi-site churches. Um, I don't say that just as an aside. I say that because I, I want you to be able to think biblically when it comes to issues of ecclesiology, how we do church, um, especially in, in our culture, in our world, where this model of ministry is, is the fastest growing model of ministry that there is. To think critically, to say, is there a better measurement for what is right and what is good beyond just how many people fill a seat? Because that's never how God's word measurements, and that is not the measuring stick that God's word gives to an elder. Now, there are other implications here that we will have to work through. I can say, as long as I'm your pastor, we'll never be multi-site, but what about multi-service? It's difficult to know. What about large churches? There's no way you can know everybody. What do you do in those occasions? I'm just saying there are, these, are, these are questions that we will have to ask, but we can't come up with answers based on what works good. We can come up with answers based on what God's word says is the requirements and the jobs of your elders, your leaders, what the church should look like, and we base ourselves off of that. God has placed men in local congregations to feed, protect, and watch over God's church. That is their duty. That's our duty. That's what God's called us to. Then Peter addresses their desires. Their desires. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And here they come. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, 
but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So what are the desires of elders to be? Another word you could give this is motive. That's what, that's what Peter is addressing here. The motive, the heart, the desires of these men called to lead, the, lead these churches. What are their desires to be? What are their motives? And you see these, these three sort of dichotomies given here. A negative and a positive, a negative and a positive, a negative and a positive. First, he says, not under compulsion, but the opposite of that, willingly. So what does that mean? Not under compulsion. It means simply not because of any external pressure, be it people or be it circumstances. That the elder should not serve as an elder because of pressure from somebody to be an elder. Right? And that might sound crazy to you, but it happens all the time. It happens all the time. Moms and dads put pressure on children to be preachers or pastors. Happens all the time. For pastors to, to unknowingly and unwillingly put pressure on their children to go into the ministry. For circumstances to be what, what dictate whether or not you serve in the ministry. For there not to be in the heart of an elder a desire to lead the church, to feed the church, to protect the church, to guide the church, to lay his life down for the church. For that desire not to be there, but instead for there to be there, well, this is what I have to do. Or this is what I'm expected to do. That is compulsion. And Peter says, do not lead, do not be an elder under compulsion, but instead do it willingly. Do it according to the God-given desire in you. You should lead out of a, a willing heart, a willing desire that's been given to you by God, not because of external pressure, but given to you by God to lead, to serve, to give your life for the people of God. And then he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. This is not for, for monetary gain that is shameful. Uh, some translations is filthy lucre. I don't even know what that is. Filthy lucre. Like just dirty money. Don't do it for shameful gain. Here's what this is. This is don't be a leader of God's people. Because you know that as the leader, I can twist you and I can twist your emotions and I can twist your thoughts and I can get money from you. Because there are men who have great oratory abilities, great speaking abilities, and can preach with pathos and move you and, and just drain your bank accounts making false promises. Happens all the time, every day, on your TVs. Don't be an elder for shameful gain. Don't be an elder because of, of the money that it gets you. I, I was thinking about this even in our culture, which is a weird church culture. There are some people who are elders or pastors because as pastors they can get away with more stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, he's a pastor. He's okay. Meanwhile, he's a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Don't serve for shameful gain, but instead do so 
eagerly. Do so eagerly. Now, that is because of a divine calling, not a calling to make money. Now, that is not to say that elders, especially those who labor in the preaching and teaching of God's word, should not be paid. 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Right? So elders, pastors, teachers who labor in the teaching of God's word certainly deserve to be paid for their labor. That's what God's word says. I've had people tell me all day, oh, pastor ought not to be paid. He ought to just do it out of the goodness of his heart. Well, I agree. But God's word says, worthy of double honor. Don't muzzle the ox when he treads out the grains. In other words, let the ox eat. Let him get his nourishment, his sustenance from his work. The laborer deserves his wages. Laborer deserves his wages. But don't be in it for shameful gain. There's a big difference. You see it, you're smart people. And then lastly, not domineering. Not domineering, but being examples. Not lording it over the flock. Elders do have authority. Elders do have oversight. But we must not use it in a manner that is domineering. That's domineering. Listen to what Jesus has to say on this issue in Matthew chapter 20. Starting in verse 20, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in the kingdom, in your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. It's the same domineering. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant. Now, who is Jesus talking to? He is talking to the apostles. He's talking to Peter. To the most, outside of of Jesus, the most authoritative men who've ever walked the earth. And he says, you're not to lead like the world does. You're not to lead like the Gentiles do, lording it over people. But instead, you're to lead in a way that you give your life for them. You serve them. You're examples to them. Examples. The elders are to... Shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, not in a desire for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering, but being examples, both publicly and privately, leading congregations in their own godliness. Now, let me be real clear on something here. This is not perfection. 
And if you come away from that and go, well, if you mess up one time, see ya. That is not what this is. Okay? It's not perfection. Ain't perfect. Not gonna be. If you don't believe me, my parents and my wife all go to this church. Just ask any of them. I'm not perfect. I will mess up. And to lead by example is not to lead a life of perfection. But it is to lead an exemplary life that models when I blow it, when I wrong you, when I mess up, when I sin, I'm quick to repent. I'm quick to repent. That's the measuring stick. That's the example. So please don't expect perfection from me. You won't get it. You'll get more out of Jacob, but you won't get as much out of me. (laughs) Know that we, all three of us, are sinful men who seek godliness, who fall short in our godliness and seek to be examples. And if we, when we fall short in that, would you come to us and let us know, but do so in a, in a heart and an attitude of grace, knowing that the same forgiveness that's available to you is available to us. And the same mistakes that you make, we make, and God forgives all and calls all to godliness. Here's what you walk away from this understanding. That the primary test in which you qualify as an elder is not gifts. It's not preaching abilities. It's not leadership abilities. It's not personalities. We got loads of pulpits full of people who are gifted, who have incredible leadership personality or leadership ability and off the chart engaging personality. That is not the standard for a biblical leader. It is character. It is character, and I appreciate Jacob saying that this morning as far as deacons are concerned. And may we be very slow to elevate men into to positions of leadership just because they have some ability. But instead, may they be tested and prove themselves to be men of character. And then lastly, the elders delight. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The unfading crown of glory. This is the elder's delight. That when the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, when he appears, if you lead this way, when he appears, then your delight will come when Jesus comes and he gives you an unfading crown of glory. Here's what that is for me, church. That my reward, my delight comes in the end, not in the middle. Right? That we work and we labor for an eternal reward. Not for rewards here. Not for acclaim here. Not to be able to say we've got the biggest church. Not to be able to say we've got the fastest growing church. Not to be able to have all the accolades and the followers on uh, Twitter, if people still do that, and Instagram and um, views on your YouTube channel. That's not why you labor in the ministry of the word. You do so that, so that when Jesus, who is the chief shepherd, appears, that he will bring with him 
your reward. Our delight comes in the end. Our reward comes in the end. The reward of eternal glory ought to be all the reason why any shepherd needs for desiring to serve faithfully. It's the reward in the end. That's reason enough. It's the reward in the end. Not man's acclaim, not big buildings or ministries, but eternal rewards. Eternal rewards. You know what that also means to me? We're out of time. I wish I could go further. That you look at the context in which Peter's writing. He's writing to a church that's in the middle of immense suffering. Difficult, hard suffering. He's writing to elders, to, to shepherds who are leading these churches to say that your reward, your gain, your glory, your joy, it won't be complete in this ministry. It never will. It's only complete in the end. It's only complete in the end. I am well aware of the goodness of God and the grace of God in my life as I serve you. You people are amazing. And it is a joy. And most pastors do not get to experience what I get to experience. They don't. I'm well aware of it. I'm well aware of it. And I'm grateful to God for you and that he's brought me here. And he's had me here for almost 10 years. Grateful to God for that. But I need your help to make sure that I understand that this is not my reward. This is not what I'm laboring for. And if all this goes away, it's okay. Why? It's not my reward. It's not what I'm laboring for. There's a crown waiting for those who serve faithfully. And that's the goal, to serve faithfully. Faithfully ministering God's word to God's people. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.